Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today I am kicking off a new special interview series, three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic. And in this special series, I will be speaking with a wide variety of friends, colleagues, and professionals working around the film industry, largely in my backyard of Oklahoma. And I'll be talking with each guest about how the pandemic has impacted their line of work before talking about the three films that helped them get through it all. And I'm going to begin this series with Alex Picard Davis, the executive director of the Dead Center Film Festival, Oklahoma's premier film festival that recently just celebrated its 20th year with its first ever virtual film festival. I'll be talking with Alex about how the festival pivoted to the virtual platform in the earlier months of the COVID shutdown. And I'll also be talking with her about how she managed stepping into the role of executive director of Dead Center in a year that was just full of variables. And we'll also discuss how the media of film has continued to expand, especially in the light of the, the pandemic that we saw this past year, before closing out the conversation by getting her three picks for films that got her through the 2020 pandemic. Now, before we jump into the interview, if you enjoy the show today, I hope you'll consider leaving us a rating and a review and follow us or subscribe on your preferred podcast app. This really is the most impactful way you can support the show at this time. Currently, we're not not really making any money off this, so we're not taking donations even. So the best way you can support the show is heading over to your preferred podcast app and leaving us a rating and a review and subscribing or following. Another way that you could participate in this special series is by emailing your personal three films that got you through the pandemic to the cinematropolis at gmail.com or by sharing your picks by following us on Twitter at the cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis. And uh, if you send in these picks, you're actually submitting for a chance to have them read on the show. So we do hope you'll participate and I hope to see you in the email threads and on the social media channels. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Alex Picard Davis before jumping into the interview today. I am an 11-year Oklahoma City transplant, and longtime listeners will know that I have been attending the Dead Center Film Festival for many years. Uh, my first one was in 2014, and I've been going every year since in some capacity. And I am a really big fan of the work that Dead Center does right here in Oklahoma. It brings filmmakers and cinephiles and artists from all over the world together to celebrate film and the tremendous work being done in our community. And I think another really cool thing about Dead Center is the big annual film festival is really only one major component to the work that's done by the team. Uh, they hold classes for a group of students from around the state through Dead Center University and are also very much known for throwing some pretty awesome fundraiser parties, um, particularly when it's safe to, to do parties. One thing I've always noticed from this team that is now led by Alex Picard Davis is that they are very passionate about exploring new avenues for filmmaking. Not only does the Dead Center Film Festival have a wide variety of shorts they play, uh, but in the last couple of years, previous to 2020, that is, uh, they were also incorporating a VR component into the festival, which was really cool. So again, Dead Center isn't just doing the same thing over and over again. They're really trying to expand uh, into new types of stories and new ways to, to have cinematic experiences. 
And at the end of the day, I would say that they are just most passionate about cinematic stories told through whatever means necessary, and they're dedicated to fostering this creativity and space to celebrate the art of film for Oklahomans. And as long as I've been going to Dead Center, Alex has, of course, been a big mover and shaker. Previously, she was actually a volunteer before becoming the operations manager in 2013, and then, of course, most recently stepping into the role of executive director this past year, 2020. Needless to say, there are few people working harder in the realm of film in the state of Oklahoma than Alex Picard Davis. Without further ado, let's go ahead and connect with Alex to hear exactly how she's doing in 2021 so far and getting a little bit of insight into the three films that got her through the 2020 pandemic. Welcome back, everybody. We're so excited about today's very special guest for our special three films that got us through the 2020 pandemic series. I'm so pleased to be joined by Alex Picard Davis, the executive director of the Dead Center Film Festival. Alex, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Hi, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, hey, we we made it through 2020 and you actually had a really, really big year. Uh, so... Now that we're past it, uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing pretty well. You know, cheers. Happy 2021. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, I, I think before we get to the, the fun stuff, you know, the three films that you picked, I just wanted to, to, for our listeners, get some perspective on exactly how did the pandemic in, impact, you know, your line of work and the things you're doing on the festival scene. And you've been working with Dead Center for many, many years now. Just from your perspective, unrelated to the pandemic, what do you think makes Dead Center a unique and important film festival specifically for the state of Oklahoma? Oh, that that is an excellent place to start. Dead Center is uh, Oklahoma's largest film festival. And so we really, we take that responsibility very seriously. Uh, we love uh, working with other film festivals in the state and making sure that filmmakers in Oklahoma are getting their work shown. Um, and we're just thrilled to be a part of the, the celebration um, for, for our filmmakers and for filmmakers across the country. Um, so we're, we're unique to Oklahoma and Oklahoma filmmakers, but we're also unique to uh, the United States in that we do bring in a lot of people from around the country and around the globe to Oklahoma. And um, actually, when I started working at Dead Center as a volunteer, I was on the host committee. And what we did was we picked up filmmakers at the airport and brought them to their hotel and Every time it was, wow, I've never been to Oklahoma City. I had no idea. This is so cool. You guys are great. Everybody's so friendly. And um, I like to think that we, we have kept that piece uh, because that is what makes Oklahoma, Oklahoma. And it's certainly what makes Dead Center, Dead Center. You mentioned that you started as a volunteer. Could you tell us a little bit about exactly how your role with the festival had a major change in 2020? What does that change mean? So I did start as a volunteer, and at one point I was an intern. Uh, Dead Center has a fabulous internship program. And I came on, I want to say in 2012, and took on um, the festival piece and director of operations. And in 2020, I was slated to shift into the executive director role following our 20th anniversary film festival in June. So that was a, one of many major changes that happened in 2020, but it, that one was at least planned. 
Um, so now it means I, I am kind of, I'm running the organization. We're a year round organization. So we have education programs, both for K through 12 and also um, for further learning for adults who may want to get into filmmaking or may already be professional filmmakers. So that keeps me busy throughout the year. And then the film festival is, is obviously our more, most forward facing piece and certainly one of the most fun pieces uh, to work on every year. You mentioned like how this is a year round festival uh, and I know we're going to get into the pandemic impact. But one thing that I don't know that as many people are aware of is sort of the educational opportunities that Dead Center provides the state. Could you elaborate on that just uh, to give some perspective on on the, the impact Dead Center has on the state of Oklahoma? I'd be happy to. Uh, so our education program in a normal year, <laughs> you'll probably hear that a little bit throughout this. Uh, is a fall statewide education tour where we go to schools, um, primarily high schools throughout the state, um, to teach students how to speak more confidently in front of their peers, how to collaborate from a creative perspective, and, and really gaining all of those soft skills through the lens of film, because it's a lot easier to stand up in front of a classroom and talk if you're you know, pitching a film. Um, it's just more fun. It's easier to do. It's low stakes. Uh, so that, that normally is what we're doing in the fall. Uh, because of the pandemic, we have shifted that a little bit and have been working on an online module that can be taken from grades 6 through 12, um, primarily based in storytelling that we hope to launch early this spring. So we're still we're still working on that, but that will also help feed into uh, Dead Center University, which is our kind of our capstone program during the that that occurs during the film festival, uh, where we bring some of those students back to do a, it's two to four days of intensive um, film training and and filmmaking, uh, very hands on. So. It all everything we do kind of plays with one another. Filmmaking is just so collaborative, and you know, so we we really lean into that um, as a strength. And then um, that that is the big thing coming out of Dead Center Education this year. Um, we're looking forward to being able to bring people back in person at some point and and continue doing some more of the hands 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 on work. Um, but until then, we're going to approximate it as much as we can online. Right. Well, very cool. And uh, so, of course, you've already uh, alluded to it there. Um, that is just one of the the many wonderful things that Dead Center is uh, doing for the the state of Oklahoma. And, but you talk about having to shift your plan, uh, doing a virtual module. That's one example of how your team maybe has pivoted a little bit. Uh, so if you could tell me uh, first, what exactly did you know your job and process of planning and executing a film festival look like pre-pandemic? And then maybe we'll talk, we can talk a little bit more about what it's looked like in a pandemic year. Pre-pandemic, the festival is a four-day in-person experience, um, screening on about seven screens um, all day for those four days. And we have parties at night to celebrate the filmmakers and to allow everybody to network with everybody and complete with you know, Q&As and panels. It's very much an accessible experience for a festival. You as an attendee can come and watch a film and then engage with the people who made it happen. Uh, and so that is that was a huge challenge for us 
<laughs> moving virtual because we have been known for our parties for a very, very, very long time. And they are a lot of fun. And so the focus really shifted to screening the films this year and how do we do that and create our dead center community online. Um, so planning in person is very collaborative and it turns out that planning for a virtual festival is just as collaborative. Uh, we just did a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages. Um, but we are very fortunate. We belong to an organization called the Film Festival Alliance, which is film organiz organizer professionals, <laughs> film festival people um, who are connected. And we are so because festivals are just collaborative by their their nature. We are very collaborative and flexible. And so calls and calls and calls. What are you doing? What are you doing? What technology are you using? What can we develop to make this easier? There was just a lot of information sharing very fast. I remember being just overwhelmed by the amount of information, but also grateful that I had it because <laughs> we were building something literally from scratch. It had not been done before. A full-fledged film festival with all the bells and whistles had not been attempted online before. We were moving there eventually, but it, it just hadn't happened. So every step we were taking, we were trying to gauge, is this a good idea? How do we do it? Because the other piece of the film festival is it's, it, it's an event. Uh, and with events that happen once a year, you get one shot a year. So you really have to, to go through the paces, vet what you're doing, test it, and then you get the real test when it goes live because you, you can't approximate 3,000 people logging in to watch a film. Um, so at the end of the day, the, you just cross your fingers and hope you've, you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. Um, so that it, was, it was a lot of just research, gathering, planning, um, and then hoping for the best and hoping that if things happened, which things will always happen, um, but hoping that you can be the best steward of people and really have the hospitality piece come into play um, if things go wrong. Yeah, well, most definitely. And I'm just uh, speaking as a part of the attendee experience. I, I mean, I knew how fast you guys put that together just because I know how this stuff works. And I know I see you guys on social media, but I also have to say like the speed in which you all executed that was extremely impressive. And I've got to say, at least on my side of things, it was pretty seamless. I, I didn't run to any, uh, you know, any issues accessing uh, a film. You know, I just knew, hey, I need to, to show up to this particular link at this particular time. And I'm going to have a window of like around roughly like two to four hours. In fact, it might've been a little longer than that in some cases. Um, and I don't know, I thought at the, the website, like navigation was very clean. So, I mean, uh, all, I mean, of course, when you're building something that fast, there's always like room to grow in, in areas. I, I was overwhelmed by how well you guys did um, with the execution this year. Um, and, and one thing I want to talk about a little bit here, just to, to follow up on that, outside of just the screening process, the virtual film festival piece, you also, I think, did a really, really awesome job at still talking to filmmakers through sort of like these pre-recorded Q&As. Uh, I mean, like, could you talk with us a little about how you approached the filmmakers when the festival had to go virtual suddenly? Absolutely. And at first, I want to say, there were, there were some advantages to going online. We were able to move from four days to 11 days, um, mostly because we realized that people are, were going to watch films on their own schedule. Uh, and being online gave us the, the opportunity 
to give that timeline because we weren't having to hold screens in captivity for 11 days. Uh, so that was that was lovely. And then, yes, we were able to engage with more filmmakers than we've been able to in the past uh, because filmmakers are, you know, they've spent their savings on the film that they're making and they're working to go to the festivals that they feel like they need to go to. And if they don't attend your festival, you typically don't get to have that Q&A exchange with them. And this year it was, we were were just able to talk to more filmmakers. We were able to schedule them out. Uh, We started, we went into pre-production or pre, we we had pre-pre-production, which was planning how everything was going to happen. And pre-production was um, filming a lot of the Q&As ahead of time. We uh, went to Tower Theater the week before the festival launched and, and started recording because there was no way we were going to be able, able to do all of those live. Um, when you have, I think we had over 140 films last year. And so that, we'll, we'll just say two filmmakers per film. That's what, 300 people? So um, we started a week earlier uh, with the, the blocked out schedule, just sitting down and talking to filmmakers but the quality of conversation we had, we were able to just get deeper than, you know, the standard, what camera did you shoot it on? How many days was your shoot? What was your favorite part? Um, really made it just such a more well-rounded experience for us. Um, we were able to record those Q&As, so we have them now. And uh, I think that will be something that's really fun to look back on as we continue to watch these filmmakers grow and uh, develop their craft. I want to say at least every film I watched, there was some sort of like post film content Q&A, whether it was a one on one or a panel style, like it really did replicate the the film you know, the film festival experience. And it really reminded me, uh, I don't know how many of those filmmakers are planning to have, uh, you know, physical media releases like Blu-ray or DVD, but like, it's the kind of stuff you would find, uh, the really high quality conversations you'd find on a, uh, an extra on your DVD or Blu-ray. So, um, just it, very impressive all around. And as a person who has worked in producing where you have to like coordinate schedules, that is a feat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so terrific work there. And uh, I, I think I just want to shift here a little bit to talk a little bit, uh, bit more about like maybe, um, you know, how the pandemic impacted Dead Center and maybe a, a larger scale. Uh, so, of course, movie theaters shut down and also Hollywood productions shut down for a good chunk of last year. Um, how did this impact the Dead Center 2020 Film Festival? Um, I would say this is more specifically from like a programming perspective. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. We so we open for applications or submissions for the festival in August of every year, August, September, fall. And so by what was it, March 11th, I think. <laughs> yeah. By March 11th, we already had our schedule locked. Um, we had already had our films for 2020 selected. Uh, so we were very fortunate that we didn't have the challenge of having to ask for films from filmmakers who might not have films because their production shut down. Uh, but the challenge was at that point, nobody really wanted to be in a virtual space because that wasn't the norm. Uh, they and if you're a filmmaker, you absolutely want to show your film in a theater. There's just, there's nothing like it. Um, so we really were, we were sympathetic to that. Um, 
but we reached out to the filmmakers and just kind of explained. And at that point, everything was moving. The nation was changing. <laughs> and so, of course, filmmakers understood. And we we put it in their hands. We said, you know, if you allow us to show your film, you get to set the terms. You get to say, you know, the, our audience is in Oklahoma, the only ones who get to see it. it is it restricted to the Midwest? Can we open it up? Um, do you want a cap on your audience? Because those questions for, for filmmakers when they're looking for distribution, that those choices impact what, what they can do beyond a film festival circuit. And so it was a lot of, and I credit Sarah Thompson, our director of programming with this, because it was a lot of communicating with the filmmakers and, and making sure that they felt honored by the, the pivot uh, because it was for everybody, it was just such a knee jerk, like, oh, crap, we have to shift. How do we shift? OK, we've got a path to shift, but it's not it's not totally like ideal for the filmmakers. And that doesn't seem fair, but also it doesn't seem fair to not show these films. <laughs> so where what can we find in the middle that makes sense? And it really came down to asking the filmmakers. Uh, and we did have a couple that said, I'm, I'm not interested in playing online and we said okay we get that cool uh we hope to see you next year and i i expect that we probably will see a couple repeat submissions uh, we were hopeful that they would be able to to do what they wanted to do with the film uh, but unfortunately you know it's january 2020 and we're we're still looking at theaters are closed or figuring out how to open and, and people making the decisions whether or not going to a theater is really the best choice for them um, so again, it's, it's all, it is, it is a personal decision. A, a film is so personal to a filmmaker. Um, and, and we're a film festival, not only for audience, but really for the filmmaker. So it, it came down to that. Yes, most definitely. And I mean, talking a little bit about where we're at in 2021 for you, how is that looking comparative to last year? Would you say things are looking up or are we tracking about the same as we were maybe like March, April last year? Or do you just think it's going to be an entirely different approach to the, the festival in 2021? Well, I don't think we can do an entirely different approach. A lot of people really liked the virtual. Um, I, I've heard that people saw more films. They, they just learned more. They engaged more, which is surprising to me because I've been on so many Zoom calls that for me that just, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> but, so we're looking at what we can do, what being in a, with all the technology that we now have, what, what can we do that's different? What feels special? What feels like an event? What feels like an experience? Uh, fortunately, we were able to being in that June spot last year, we were able to have a couple in-person screenings that were outdoors, that were very spaced. Uh, and those were lovely it felt so so normal and um, celebratory and so we definitely want to do that again this year I think with the vaccine rollout um, with the time the lead that we have on it we definitely uh, we know more about the virus now we can plan in a way that creates safe opportunities both in person and of course building out a more robust uh, virtual experience is is on the docket 
one thing I feel like I'm I've surprised I haven't seen more like just theaters in general do is find a, some sort of way to set up a drive-in sort of experience. And that was something a really awesome thing you guys did for a couple of uh, one one night at the Dead Center Film Festival this last year. Uh, I was unfortunately unable to attend, but I have heard nothing but great things from those in attendance, and it uh, you know appeared very safe and. Um, it still sort of felt like a, it looked like a slice of, you know, more traditional dead center, just outdoors, which has its own sort of like nostalgia, drive-in nostalgia to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and dead center's always done at least one outdoor screening for the public. So that that's already in our DNA. So to be able to do that, we did it three times. We did a screening at a drive-in on a Thursday. We did a carless drive-in in a parking lot on Friday, and that was a double feature. And then on Saturday, we partnered with uh, Scissor Kill Park to do just a beautifully spaced screening. Uh, So we were lucky that we had connections to venues, uh, that people know about us, know how we work, and and we're able to throw that together fairly quickly. And it just, it felt so much like Dead Center. It made my heart so happy. Job well done to to you, every, you know, everyone who, of the Dead Center staff, uh, volunteers. I mean, it was a tremendous film festival and I'm really looking forward to uh, what all you have in store uh, this next year. And it sounds like you guys have already thought quite a bit about how you can take advantage of the fact that we actually know more. (laughs) So that's, that's great. Um, Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears here to maybe a a different, um, maybe a different sort of fun aspect here. So uh, I've asked you to select three different movies that helped you get through this past, especially challenging year. And I'm super pumped to hear exactly what you picked. Uh, So these are in no particular order, unless you would like to rank them. Um, But in no particular order, let's jump through these film selections. So what is the first film you've selected for us today? Okay, the first film I have selected is Minari. David, look! They're wheels! Wheels? Look at this What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, Please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right? Yes. It's a film that debuted at Sundance in 2020, and fortunately I was able to see it there before the world shut down. Um, was filmed in Oklahoma. It was such, It is such a beautiful film, and it's, it's coming out. I believe it's on demand some places now will be more widespread very soon. Uh, just a beautiful film. And honestly, like it's, the, I, I consider it a more dramatic um, pairing to a double feature with Parasite. Like it's there, there are themes that play with both and it's just, it's very interesting to consider those films kind of in their, their vacuum. Um, I just remember loving it and filled with so much joy and so much sorrow. And uh, it's a look at a family and their version of the American dream. And especially now set against the backdrop that we have, it's even more bittersweet, Um, but just a lovely, lovely, very well-crafted film that I can't recommend more highly. I think it was my favorite film of the year, which is why I've slated it for the number one slot. Um, but it's also the film, I think it was one of the first films I saw last year. <laughs> I never thought about the 
the pairing with Parasite, but that is a really great pairing, actually. I like I, I kind of like the connection. I, I know one movie that came to mind for me, and just want to throw this at you to see what you think. When I got done watching it, I felt Moonlight vibes. Not in the sense that the story is the same, but as a white middle-class American who's lived largely in the you know major metropolitan areas, really getting to see just a slice of people's life, people I probably would in no other way have that sort of like really close relationship with, or at least haven't thus far. So it really, I feel like is a, like a great film that just helps generate a tremendous amount of empathy, which I think is really, um, you know, film in its finest. I don't know if I'm crazy. What, what do you think? I don't think so at all. I think um, both of those films, Parasite less or so, because it's meant to be a, a little bit character um, caricaturist. Minari just feels so like you could run into these people. These are people that you probably would know if you stopped and talked to them. Um, and it, it is an incredibly grounded film in that way. So it makes everything that they go through that much more relatable and to, to treat it through the lens of this is, you know, if you're, if you're a Caucasian person, you may not know all about uh, Asian culture. So to have it presented through film, you can gain an understanding. I think back to the farewell um, as another film and just where you see the the traditions handed down from generation to generation really determining what success means to a household and how that impacts a family. Um, and so I just, I get very in my head when I watch films like that, because it is a window into a life that I have not lived, um, but it is a life that someone has. And Minari is autobiographical, I believe. So it's even even more so uh, impactful from that perspective. Yes, wonderful. Minari can't agree can't uh, agree more. Uh, it is uh, one of the the finest films, I believe that. Came out uh, technically in 2020 by award standards, but I think yeah, the 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 public's not going to have access to it directly until I, I want to say it's like mid February. Um, so hopefully by the time listeners are checking this out, they can just head on over to their uh, streaming uh, Amazon or uh, iTunes or whatnot and, and give it a download. Uh, so great pick! I'm really glad you're actually the first person I, in this series we we've we mentioned uh, that I've been doing who's mentioned that film, and I'm really glad that you you brought that one up. Let's go to the second film though. What, what, what's your next selection? I'm going off script a little bit because my second film is not a film. It's a mini series and it's Queen's Gambit. Men are going to come along and want to teach you things. Doesn't make them any smarter. You just let them blow by and you go on ahead and do just what and how you feel like. Someday you're going to be all alone. So you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. Tell the readers of life how it feels to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. Um, I was completely captivated by it. I watched it through twice now. Um, I've read the book <laughs> and I will say, I think that the adaptation is so much richer and there's just there's a lot to chew on in a miniseries from a lens of filmmaking um so i'm considering it my second film whether you like it or not well, this is relevant to the conversation though because 
you know, 2020, just because people were forced to watch stuff on streaming services, there has been a lot of conversation around what makes a movie a movie. I know the small act series from Steve McQueen, there were some like film critics organizations when doing their top picks, like this is a movie, these are, it's a mini series, it doesn't count. While others were like, uh, we're going to pick all five as our f- top pick, you know? So I, I don't think you're too off base uh, picking Queen's Gambit. And also Queen's Gambit is fantastic. I also really enjoyed it. And I also, the last thing I want to mention ab- about that, and maybe I want to get a little more of your perspective on what stuck out to you personally about it, but in the world we live in, the Netflix effect, and I'm just making this up, so I don't. it's not like a textbook term. Even when shows are really popular on Netflix, usually they have like a zeitgeist life of about two weeks. Even like I think Stranger Things, like it'll come out, people will be talking about it for like two, maybe three weeks, you know, and then people move on to the next thing. I still, I mean, Queen's Gambit came out like what, three or four months ago? And I still have people, t- hear people talking about it in a way that I don't feel like is very typical of a Netflix show that, you know, it came out so long ago. But in terms of Queen's Gambit, what about it specifically stuck out to you or, or really resonated with you? Well, first of all, I waited to watch Queen's Gambit because so many people were watching it. So I do, I do believe that it is is a thing, um, and I also believe that there are people like me who are like everybody loves that, so I'm not going to engage with it yet. Um, but then when I did, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> this is great. There, there are so many things. So I'm going to try and just pick a couple. I loved how they presented the main character um and i'm blanking on her name oh my god but she as a she really is a genius and so they they flesh that out what that means what that means in interpersonal relationships what that means as far as career um education and in the struggles that that presents you know um and that's not a terribly sympathetic story and i will say that that queen's gambit um, most of the people are a little bit off, off-putting. <laughs> you don't, you love them all, but you realize they're superhuman. Uh, and so, thank you, Beth. Beth Harmon um, is the main character, and Anya Taylor Joy is just she dissolves into that character. Uh, I've I've seen her in a couple other films. Split is the one that comes to mind. Uh, but this was a whole other side and just watching, especially on the second pass when you know where it's going, you can see her methodology and the choices that she makes. And there's just some incredible choices made as an actress in the role. Um, fashion was another big one. The fashion is just spectacular and it tells its own story. I don't want to spoil anything, um, but there's this whole uh, motif of chess pieces that happens through her wardrobe that just makes my heart so giddy. And I didn't really pick up on it until the second viewing. So go back and watch it. Um, But I love those kinds of things that reward a viewer for paying attention and knowing what to look at, or maybe not, and just catching it, um, because it always feels like a treasure hunt to me. Um, And that makes a movie incredibly rewatchable. and makes me want to sit down and watch all, you know, 10 episodes again, (laughs) eight to 10 episodes, however many it is. I seriously had not picked up on the fashion whatsoever. So now I have to go back and rewatch it. I have no choice, but it's great. It's a show. It's a series that's very much worth 
uh, the rewatch and the, the sort of like growing women's rights movements that had been shifting through the fifties and sixties. Like, did, was that of interest to you at all? Yes. Watching, seeing women in, in a historical context, seeing anybody in a historical context has been a huge fascination of mine for about the past two years, just as we are living history you, you start to think about, oh, my God, this is how people felt, you know, 200 years ago. <laughs> were they were they as were they as terrified as I am? Were they as happy as I am? Um, what was it like to be a human back then? Um, kind of kind of the same as with Minari, where you're looking at it through through that different lens and, and connecting to that experience on a whole other level. Um, so to see her, especially, you know, in in. Um, coming from an orphanage into a family who really just treated her almost as foster care kind of. Uh, And then her relationship with her mother just is beautifully portrayed um, as two flawed people who don't know what they're doing, but are doing the best they can. Um, And it's a, is definitely also a treat to watch on a rewatch because, um, Oh, blinking on her name too. Is it? It's Marie Heller. I want to say Marie Heller. Um, very talented actress, but also director. She directed. Um, how? How can you ever forgive me? Or can you ever forgive me? And um, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Just a lovely relationship between two women that is not competitive. It is so rare to see, you know, friendships that aren't rooted in. And jealousy and and theirs is a mother-daughter relationship but it truly is a is a friendship watching the the mom's journey um and kind of her responsibilities <laughs> responsibilities being the shackles of her life and and Beth through the world of chess kind of is given this passport to freedom and gets to do what she likes to do and then her mom gets to experience that along with her is is a treat that was for me one of the more rewarding parts of the the series was was seeing that relationship in particular because it's not a traditional mom daughter role and it's really um, shows how they're able to learn and grow from each other you know versus you know more typical like mom's the one who's sort of like laying down the rules or setting the example it it really does feel like a mutual. Um, respect uh, and they both are able to help each other out quite a bit so um now it sounds like though you've already watched this a couple times so do you expect this to stick with you in the months and years ahead or is this going to be like one of those you put behind you looking back i think it, it will be become one that i play in the background uh and occasionally revisit there's certainly a lot to still chew on i don't think i've i've absorbed all of it and i'm i've been learning chess or with the rest of the world Um, So it's fun to now watch it through the lens of playing chess because they did a lot of research there and they present the game very well. Um, So I've kind of become a complete chess nerd now uh, because of it. And I think that just that speaks to the power of, of storytelling, too. Next time I see you, we'll have to pl- have a chess game. I have to brush up. Uh, I haven't played chess probably in about six or seven years. Uh, chess club high school. So mm-hmm. off the, the dust off the cobwebs, we'll play a game. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's a great pick. And I think in a lot of ways is a is a piece of 2020 pop culture, whether it's a miniseries or film. It is certainly a very cinematic story um, that I, I really do think is going to stick around and have an impact. If for no other reason that all of a sudden a bunch of people decide to 
to start playing chess. So uh, <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the your final selection today. So what is uh, one last movie that comes to mind when you think about uh, getting through a year full of unprecedented times? Oh, well, so I had a whole other answer for this that you may or may not like. Um, but I think of you back to, and this is one of the, I did a panel with you on this film, That Thing You Do. We're going to do a little number off our record. It's called That Thing You Do. wherever but the context of it this time is different um because when i think about the films that got us through 2020 i think about all of the ways that people were able to take their favorite films and present them online and create communities around them so that thing you do the cast did a a um, watch along that you could donate to an organization uh, to watch i think about Hocus Pocus did a cast reunion. The Princess Bride did something. There were just, there were so many opportunities created out of going virtual um, that got us through, really became like the thing you looked forward to in a week when you weren't, you know, looking forward to going out to eat or drink with your friends. You weren't looking forward to going to the theater to see the next big thing. Uh, But you could, you knew that you were going to get to sit down with Tom Everett Scott and watch that thing you do and jam out to the meters. Like, how cool is that? And when are we going to do that again? Like, is that going to continue? I hope so. Um, and to go on a little more of a tangent, because I will, because I'm a nerd, uh, I've started like looking at TikTok and what's happening there, because there's filmmaking happening on TikTok. There is collaborative filmmaking happen. I want to shout out to the Ratatouille musical that was created by a lot of people who all had time on their hands but they used technology to create something we've never seen before and that creativity needs to be rewarded needs to be recognized and needs to be respected as we move forward because that's that's the future we didn't you know 75 years ago we didn't have digital cameras the only way to make a film was to be a part of the studio system and and probably be a white person. <laughs> and now it's so democratized. And so nobody can tell you you can't make a movie. And certainly nobody can tell you how to make that movie. And at some point, what is a movie anymore? Um, so I delve off the deep end there. I really think that's a good call out, though, because, again, just thinking about when we look... <laughs> Look back on 2020. Hopefully we're thinking about the positive things, you know, and the silver linings. And, 
you know, to your point, like how often is the entire cast of that thing you do going to all be available to hop on a Zoom call to do a fundraiser other than during a pandemic when no one can work? And it's just sort of a way it was a way to celebrate the things that we all love together versus, um, you know, it's the closest thing you could get to, to replicating a, an in-theater experience where you're watching something with other people. And I mean, there were a lot of really great reunions. Some of them may have moved myself to tears at times. Like it's just really cool. It's, it's, it's the power of community um, and the way technology has enabled people to forge communities. I think it's a really good call out. So I, th- I think that's a great one. I hadn't even considered the TikTok. Uh, do you have any other examples? I'm really curious. Um, not off of the top of my head. Uh, actually, well, there's, it's more in the music part of things, but people are using TikTok to create musical compilations. And there's a she, sea shanty bit going around right now. And I, I am just, I'm an old, I have, I have not posted to TikTok. I am a sucker and I'm a very occasional one. Uh, but just thinking about knowing how much work went into putting together a festival thinking about what it would take to link, you know, hundreds of people across the world to create one vision. When I know what goes into a film crew where you're in person and you're able to trade information very quickly, it just blows my mind that, that it's happening and I want to learn more about it. I want to geek out about it. It's exciting in a way that it, it just, it feels like a breath of fresh air. And um, the stories that are coming out of it are so different. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really curious how it changes presentation. I've been watching WandaVision because um, it came out yesterday and I, or Friday. I already watched it twice. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, nobody told them they couldn't do that. And what happens when nobody tells you what you can't do? Uh, and you have a strong voice and a strong vision. What? Oh, I uh, strong vision. I did, I did not mean to tie it to that, but but yes, it. What happens when you get creative control over your product and you know your audience well enough and you trust yourself enough and you have the tools? You know, we could we could just have such diversity of of films of what a film even is anymore um you know we have short films short films is kind of its own category uh (laughs) so is there might there's micro short films now um but when you kind of release all that and go i'm telling a story in the format that i know that it needs to be told with the tools that i know i need to tell it that kind of frees up everything and i don't even begin to know what that looks like although i will point to christopher nolan as somebody who does this quite well um a bit, especially with you know older films like Memento, where he was truly an independent filmmaker and was playing with structure. Um, and th- those films you do go back to because you're like, oh man, what he was doing was so cool. He was telling a story backwards. The entire structure is inverted. And if you're a giant nerd like I am, that's the stuff that gets you really excited. Right. And, and like to your point, it's because uh, no one told Christopher Nolan, no, you can't tell a story backwards. He, he just he found a way to make it really compelling and, you know, pitch that to a studio and, and you know, the rest is history. Um, and again, I just think um, 
you know, you're, that you even mentioning WandaVision there, I think is really interesting because, it, you know, we we just got through 2020, which was the first year since 2009 that did not have any Marvel releases. Uh, and the first thing we get, um, you know, in 2021 is WandaVision, which is technically being released on Disney Plus, sort of like a television show. But having watched the first two episodes um, myself, they really they they really do feel like act one of a larger story because I just wanted to keep going, you know, and I'm sure when we get through all nine episodes, you're going to get into say, yeah, this is one piece. You just you kind of like Queen's Gambit even you. You you can watch it in episodes, but it doesn't feel quite uh, as episodic as, you know, maybe something like, uh, uh, I don't know, like Law and Order, you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I just it's it sounds like, though, you're you're thinking in you know 2021 ahead. It sounds like there's only more opportunities for people to tell stories via film, right? Yes, definitely. Um, and that that is is so, so energizing to me. Um, so that, that just knowing that is probably what mostly got me through 2020. And so while it is film related, it's not a film, um, but I'm going to just be super wackadoo creative and say that's my final answer. That's a great answer. I also have to ask on that note, um, are, are you familiar with, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, Unfriended series, the ones that take place over Zoom calls, right? Or uh, what comes to mind, it's not really Zoom calls, but searching, which is kind of a similar idea. Uh, so do you anticipate, you know, bold predictions, of course, do you anticipate we're going to be so burned out on zoom calls, uh, in the future that we never want to tell another film via a zoom call again, or vice versa? Do you think we are just at the tip of the iceberg? Where we're going to see tons of movies via zoom calls. I'm really curious. Oh, predicting, predicting. I think that it will be used in different ways because everything can get stale after a while. I think some of the reason we have kind of this, oh, what's the word? I'm even beginning to looking for um, divergent storytelling methods. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, is because people are getting bored with, you know, the, the three act structure, which does work. Um, but they don't want that paint by numbers film anymore where you know what to expect and you your your joy comes from how the story treats what you know that you're going to expect. Or in the case of a suspense film, plays to the complete reverse of what you think you're going to expect. Um, so I think it'll be used as a tool. I think we're going to see uh, plenty of films about being in quarantine. And so the topic might change. I think the tools will always happen um, because this is, I, I have a feeling as, such as FaceTime has kind of integrated into our lives, cell phones. Cell phones are now just like understood that you have one and that you do things on it. I think Zoom and other products like Zoom will continue to be a norm in how we communicate. And so it, they'll have to be a part of the story if you have characters talking to each other. Um, I don't think, especially when you're telling stories about this time period or in the future, you're going to have to figure out a way to work that in. Otherwise, it's going to feel like somebody's driving a Studebaker down the street in a futuristic movie, kind of. 
Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing those three films. And before we close out, I do have one uh, last. We're going to do a little lightning round here because there's so many different things that you could talk about other than just three films uh, or three miniseries or whatnot. I want in the next 90 seconds, once I start this timer, I want to hear about any other films, television shows, books, video games, songs, what other media um, that you you know consumed or listened to or watched, played uh, through 2020 that helped you get through the year. Um, so are you ready for this? I'm going to try to be, <laughs> I think I can do it. Yeah. A very confident, uh, that you, you're going to have some good uh, recommendations here. So I'm going to start this, uh, in three, two. Okay. So, um, TV shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's a great watch. Anything by Michael Shore, The Good Place. Uh, what, both of those were rewatches this year. Um, books, uh, anything by Brene Brown. I love um, I'm not terribly into fiction books. Um, film-wise, <laughs> Dora the Explorer is a great watch for an adult and for a child. Um, you're going to love it, I promise. Games, shout out to Dr. Wolf, which is an app that will teach you how to play chess. <laughs> That's been kind of what I've been doing this year. Um, oh, what else? What else? Music, music. Has there been anything fun with music? Oh, I want to talk about Black is King, Beyonce's film that debuted on Disney. Um, is a great example of a way to use the platform um, for very niche storytelling. Oh, my mind is now blank. Invisible Man was the last film I saw in theaters before it shut down. I actually saw it the night that the Thunder game got shut down. So my last memory of real world was turning my phone back on at the end of the film while the credits were rolling and there was really suspenseful music happening and reading that Thunder and the NBA was suspended. So that was the very cathartic for me. <laughs> and that film will always be linked to that moment in history for me. Um, yeah. Stay classy, San Diego, I guess. Okay, we'll give it to you. Alex, thank you so much for joining uh, the Cinematics Cinematic today and, and just talking with us a little about all the amazing things you and your team are doing over at Dead Center and as well as uh, giving us a little sneak peek at what maybe the new year looks like. Before we close out, where can people keep up with you and your work online if they want to learn more? Yeah, thank you for having me, Caleb. This has been so much fun. Uh, so Dead Center, you can check up on everything Dead Center at deadcenterfilm.org. That's D-E-A-D-C-E-N-T-E-R-F-I-L-M.org. Um, also at Dead Center Film or at Dead Center on your Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks. I am Alex Picard Davis. That's Alex with a Y. Picard spelled like John Luke and Davis spelled normal on all the platforms as well. Um, yeah. Listeners, I just check it out. Dead Center is always doing lots of cool stuff outside of the festival time. Like Alex said, it's year round. So uh, even on social media, they've got like lots of great recommendations and just sort of highlight films that are worth your time. Alex, is there, I mean, obviously we're very premature, still six or so months out from the festival. Is there anything at all that you could tease about the festival this year? I will tease that passes for the virtual experience are now on sale at deadcenterfilm.org. Um, so if you like to chew through movies on your home television, that is for you. The festival is June 10th through the 20th this year. So we'll do streaming for, for 10 days. And we have a couple other things coming out shortly um, using, using the virtual space. So expect some, some new surprising things coming down the pike, but I will make you follow us on Facebook and Twitter or sign up for our email blast for that information as it comes because we're still working on it. 
Very cool. Well, I, I can't wait to see what news you guys have in store for us. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting year uh, for film here in Oklahoma if things that have been planned take place. So I'm sure that uh, Dead Center is uh, no exception. So it sounds like uh, the best way to support uh, Dead Center is just by following on social media and signing up for some of those virtual passes. Any other ways that people can support the Dead Center Film Festival? Uh, we may have a fundraiser coming up. We are a nonprofit, so any gift helps. Um, you can sign up for a monthly donor um, and also just engaging with us. We, we love to know our audience. We love to extend that community. Um, and that that's really what gets us through the day right now when we're, we're working hardest to remember who we're working for. Um, so, so hit us up with your questions or comments. If you hated Queen's Gambit, tell me. <laughs> I want to know. I want to talk. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, Alex Picard Davis, the executive director of the Dead Center Film Festival. Thanks so much for joining the Cinematic Schematic today. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you for tuning in to the first part of our new ongoing series on three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic with special guest Alex Picard Davis. And you'll want to stay tuned for one moment to hear who we'll be talking to next week. Now, this series will continue by posting on Mondays for the next nine weeks, and we've got guests working in the entertainment industry from all over. We've got filmmakers, we've got film critics, we've got other podcasters, and just so much more in store for the weeks ahead. And at this time, I'd like to go ahead and invite you to participate. Be heard. We want to know exactly what three films got you through the 2020 pandemic. Please consider sending in your selections to our email address, thecinematropolis at gmail.com. Send us your picks to have a chance to have them read on the show. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, I do want to remind you that the best way you can support the show is by rating the podcast and subscribing on your preferred podcast app. You can also find all of our work at The Cinematropolis by following us on Twitter at The Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. And you can also find more of my work by following me, Caleb Masters, on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That is letter C Masters Talk. Join me next week when I sit down with filmmaker and podcaster Sterling Harjo, who recently made headlines when his pilot Reservation Dogs, co-produced by the Oscar-winning writer-director Taika Waititi, uh, was announced for a full series order. We'll talk with Sterling about his three film selections as well as how the pandemic impacted the production of his new TV series. You won't want to miss it. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. We'll catch you again next time.